Charlatan Tommy Robinson is an artist. In fact, he's been among our most celebrated in Charlotte for some time. But it wasn't always that way. As a black man who wanted to paint for a living in the post-World War II South, there wasn't much of a roadmap for him. But he had talent, he had passion. And as he says, he had a hard head. So he succeeded, and he still paints today. Welcome to The World Should Know, a special podcast series developed by Charlotte is Creative in partnership with Tom Hanchett and Winston Robinson and sponsored by the North Carolina Humanities Council. This series was created to help keep stories of Charlotte's past alive. Stories of neighborhoods and neighbors that have been foundational to our past, but are in danger of being lost to time. I'm Tim Miner, and it's my pleasure to invite you into today's incredible conversation between community organizer Winston Robinson and his father, artist Tommy Robinson, the first black member of the Charlotte Art Guild. The two discuss what it was like to build a career as a black artist in the Queen City then and now, and why art is a vital part of our community. Enjoy the conversation, remember the story, share it with someone else. First of all, shout out to Charlotte is Creative for facilitating this discussion with my father. <laughs> Longtime Charlotte artist, creative. His name is Tommy Robinson. He has been an artist in the Charlotte area for over well over 50 years, and he has created a legacy of what Charlotte is for art and what he is to art in our local region, man. He means so much for this city, and he means so much to me. And we're gonna learn so much about him today, and I, I couldn't be more excited to have this discussion. I know a lot of these answers that, of the questions I'm, I'm about to ask, however, I feel like the world should know too. So uh, it is my esteemed honor and privilege to introduce you via Charlotte is Creative. Shout out to the Queen City Podcast Network and everybody who made this possible, my father, Mr. Tommy Robinson. Thank you, Winston. Thank you for having me here. This feels like an interview. This feels so weird. I'm talking to my dad. Thank you, dad. <laughs> Thank you for having me here. <laughs> my dad, yo. Oh, man. So, uh, you know, let, let's just get to it. I want, I want to know about you. Like, uh, my father is from, he was born in Lumberton, North Carolina. However, that is his mother's hometown. His father is from Mount Gilead, North Carolina, which is uh, a bit due central east. However, he moved to uh, Newport News, Virginia at a very young age, and that's where I want to kind of start this. Would you tell us about that move yeah. from Newport News to Charlotte when you were eight and uh, your father passed away? What was Charlotte well, like to you? Well, I think, I think when we moved here because my, mother was, my mother had brothers and sisters live here, but I think my father's death was an influence for me becoming an artist because, like, uh, I started, my mother had a portrait of my father. She had a photographer to do a portrait. She cut herself off the, the photograph. I had a portrait made of my father. And I tried to draw my father for years. And I started drawing him maybe when I was about six. And I didn't get a likeness of him, of my father, until I was about 12. 
you know. So. You that persistent? You kept drawing, yeah, trying to well, make I, that one picture. Yeah, I think any. Well, I did more than one picture. You know, I did a lot of drawings, but I always came back to that picture to get a likeness. And I think one thing that young people should know is that anything you want to do, you have to be persistent. You know, you don't give up on it. You know, people tell you you should give up or, or why you trying that. But if you show me Michael Jordan, it, he kept a basketball in his hand. You know, and so you, you have to be persistent if you want to be good at anything. So alone, would it be fair to say grief kind of sparked your creative passion? Yeah, it was grief. It, it was me missing my father. And like uh, I... Drawing was something I could do by myself, although my mother uh, didn't know anything about art. Uh, she didn't know anything about being an artist. Uh, I used to draw on news. They used to make dry cleaning bags used to be made out of paper. And so I would take these dry cleaning bags and I would cut them up and make large sheets of paper out of them. And so I would draw on that for hours and hours. And drawing... Uh, Art was something I could do by myself. I didn't need anybody to help me. I didn't need anybody. Just like if you play a baseball game, you need other people. To play basketball, you need other people. But art, uh, drawing or painting, you can do by yourself, and you don't need anybody. Hmm. So can you think of anything else that contributed to just that burst of creativity? Like anything else that kind of yeah, a lot sent of, you that way? Well, life, life experiences... You know, my mother was a great influence because, like, I don't care how ugly it was or how it looked or she didn't know what it was. She always bragged about it, and she made me feel good about it. She, oh, if she didn't know what it was, oh, son, what is it? Tell me about it. <laughs> and I would tell her that's a horse, although it looked like something else. <laughs> and she would go right along with it, you know. Oh, that's a beautiful horse. <laughs> And I didn't even know what it was, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's a lot of influences. When did you realize you were good? And when did it come more than, like, an interest? When, when I went to school, when I, when I started going to school, when I was about the third grade, because everybody wanted me to fix their bulletin board. They had bulletin boards for each classroom. And everybody, every season they would change the bulletin board. Christmas they would change the bulletin board or, and then, like, I was going around the school, and I was an entrepreneur because I was going around the school, and I wouldn't do the bulletin boards for free. <laughs> <laughs> Third grade. Third grade. <laughs> you had to give me 50 cents or something. <laughs> yeah, you had to pay So you were already selling your work early on. Yeah. <laughs> it was ever since I could hold a pencil, uh. I found out you could sell. <laughs> And so all the teachers would come to me and they wanted me to do their bulletin boards, you know. And so I knew that was a hustle. And, and you know, like I'm uh, 75, be 75 this month. So, you know, back then, you know, 50 cents was a lot of money, man. And so I never wanted for money. What school was this? Was this in Charlotte? Yeah, well, Charlotte and South Lumberton School and, and Charlotte, Marie G. Davis and York Road. I made a killing in York Road, man. <laughs> when, when I got to the I couldn't wait to get in the seventh grade. So you had a reputation? Oh, yeah. They, I had <laughs> they a knew. reputation. They knew this. Get Robinson to fix the bulletin board if you got a dollar. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the uh, inflation, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when, I went, when I went to junior high school or high school, I really made, you know, I went up to a dollar, man. <laughs> you know. 
So what about when did you take that and make it a passion to go into a career? What was caused that? You may not believe this for years. I think young people, a lot of kids don't know what's available to them. For years, I thought that uh, when I was real young, I thought that art was just something you did. You know, I didn't realize you could make a living doing it. You know, I didn't realize that's what artists did, made a living doing their passion. And so, uh, but when I found that out, yeah, I started charging everybody. You know, first, the options were small for black people. Like, either you had to be a teacher, uh, you could teach art in college or high school or something like that, but you couldn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know many black artists. I've, I used to go to the library and I would see maybe a Romar Beard and, you know, maybe he was just coming into play. And like the South, you know, you, 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 you couldn't be an artist. Why is that? Racism, just pure racism. You, you know, like you couldn't be, you could be a sign painter. You know, like you could print signs or make signs, but to do the artist, the artistic aspect of it, you know, do portraits and stuff. And, and like, if you were real good, like I, I, I'm not bragging, but I was real good. Like they would allow you to do a portrait, you know. Well, I want you to paint my wife, <laughs> you know. But you had to be careful, you know. <laughs> you couldn't really look at her. <laughs> you had to look at her on the side of you. <laughs> you know, so 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 you had your difficulty, but that's when I stopped realizing, you know, you could do it as a living, you know. And I've wow. been fortunate. I've been doing it for over fifty-five years, you know. So I've been great. One thing you mentioned. So there is a di a distinction of art and creativity when you mention artist and sign painter. However, both of them require a significant amount of skill. So what would be the difference in the no, two? I think, I think the biggest corporate in, uh, in America has been pure racism. You know, I just think about the artists that I've known who have died and gone on were great artists, but they, they weren't allowed to excel. And the reason I was allowed to excel is because I was just so hard-headed, you know, I mean, you you couldn't tell me what to paint, you know, and so uh, and then I really concentrated on it, and I became so good at it. Did you ever struggle with accepting the idea of art as a vocation? Like, did you did you know this was this could feed you solely without being a teacher or no, having to get a job? No, I didn't. Like uh, when I went to the when I, I went in the military when I was eighteen years old. Uh, I was 17, I was 17, well, and I went to military. Europe when I was 18, hmm. and there I was exposed to the arts, so artists, and you know, and I really understood that you could make a living doing portraits or doing uh, fish or doing apples without uh, uh, being discriminated against, and so I lived in, I got out of the army in Europe, and I stayed over two and a half years alone. What was it about Europe that... Made you see differently. What do you mean? Like, can you elaborate on that? Well, you you had more freedom as a person, you know, like uh, than you had in America. Like in America, uh, everyone put where well, they put their foot on you, and where in Europe it wasn't as overt as it is in America. It wasn't as blatant as it is in America. And so, if you 
had a skill or talent and stuff, they encourage you, uh, somebody encouraged you to develop it. And then when I was in the Army, encouraged you too, because when I was in the Army, even in the States, guys wanted me to do pastel drawings or drawings or oil paintings of their families, like daughters and sons and babies and wives and stuff. So and not necessarily the system of the Army, but people who had money yeah, to spend. Yeah, individuals in the Army who had money to spend. See, like in the Army, when I went in the Army, I was making uh, uh, $72 a month, and then I could charge somebody $20 to do a portrait of their daughter. Like, I would walk around making five, $600 a month, you know. Our officers weren't even making that, you know, like I was making money. You know, I, I always knew I could make money doing it, you know. And so, like, I started going to libraries. I thank God for libraries. And I used to go to the bookmobile, and I was about eight, nine years old. And I would get every book I could find on drawing, painting. And I had a, a little white lady ask me, she said, you like to paint? Or you like to draw? Because she checked the books out. And I said, yeah, I do. She said, bring some of your drawings and let me see them sometime. And so I'll go home, get a bunch of drawings, and brought them back to the bookmobile. So you come to the main library and go to the back door where the film department is. And I did that on a Saturday. And one of her friends let me in the door, took me to the reference section, and told me to go to the end of the reference section where they had the little desk and the chair and sit there and don't say a word and look at all the art books. And that was the main library, that was the white library, which I didn't supposed to be in. But it was a white person who did it. You know, she saw the ability I had, she saw the talent I had, she saw the desire I had, and she made arrangements where her friend could sneak me in the library. Shh, don't say nothing, don't say a word. Sneak me between the references. You want to see all the big art books and pictures of Michelangelo did, the Sistine Chapel and all this stuff. You have to go to the reference section. And I could go in there and I could see all the great artists, all the, you know, historical artists. And then when I got ready to go, I had to go and find her friend and she would sneak me out of the library. Now that's the truth. You know, so, so like I, I, I tell people, you know, uh, prepare yourself, you know, because people want the best they can get. If you want a portrait of your wife, if you want a portrait of your friend, if you want a portrait of your mate, you want the best you can get. So if you want the best, you'll find Tommy Robinson. And uh, people still coming to me, Robinson, I want you to do my wife. I want you to do my baby. You know, I want you to do so and so and so. And so I, I've been blessed. You know, I did them and I made uh, a lot of money. Did you always feel like you could get there? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I felt that if you work hard enough, you can get there. You know, I, I, didn't, I never put faith in other people doing things for me. You know, like I always felt like my mom used to tell me when I was a kid before she died, my mom used to tell me I was hard here. She <laughs> said, boy, you got a hard here. Nobody can tell you nothing. And I think that was an asset. You know, I don't think it was uh, something bad. You know, when I was little, I thought it was something bad. But as I grew, 
I found out it was beneficial for me because she had to fight all the way. You know, nobody was going to give you anything, you know. And so it just made your head hard and you just, you know, like, for instance, I was the first member of the Gilda Schaller Artists. You know, this was like in the 70s or 60s. What does that mean? That's uh, Art Gill, where mostly older white women, and they get together and, and you can paint. And they had, back then, they had exhibits and stuff. And they wouldn't allow black people to join. And I did, you know, and I could outpaint anybody in there, <laughs> you know. And so that was an asset for me. And I, I think I was the first member, first black member. What did that mean to you at that time? Was it the other black artists look at you as well, a hero or a sellout? Or what did that mean no, at that moment? They looked at me as opening doors, I guess. You know, I wasn't looking at it as that. I was looking at it as the Gil Charlotte artist. They have a lot of artists in there. I can learn from them. Or I can, you know, I didn't think about the color issue, but come to find out, I was the first black that they accepted. What was there ever a time or a scenario where you had to think about the color issue? Every day, <laughs> every day, every day, you thought about the color issue, you know. But I, and what what does that mean for an artist? Then what is that? Well, how, how is racism afflicted upon artists in ways that? People like me won't understand who's not in that world. Okay, okay. Just go to a museum and see how many black artists you see in there. It's not because they don't have the skill. It's not because they don't have the powers. Just because of racism, pure racism. For years, some people in the community just denied who I was. But even in a society that was unfair, people doing the best that you can do on anything. I don't care what profession it is. If you are the best at something, people pay you for it. So is there a specific type of racism in the distinction of what art is that well, matters? No, racism is racism. It don't matter. It don't matter what profession it is. Racism is just racism. You know, people, some people think they're superior to you. You know, and, and it all has to do with color. And do you feel like art racism was different than real world racism? No. 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 One of the greatest artists I ever met in my life was named Alpha Carwells. And he wouldn't allow, he wouldn't fight for what he could do. You know, he wouldn't put up a fight for it. Uh, he wouldn't show it, you know, but he was one of the greatest artists I, I ever known in my life. When I was in high school. So he I wasn't confident in himself? He wasn't confident in, in himself. He just gave up. And when I was in high school, I used to go in the art room. Every time I got a chance, of if he, they call him Bo Pete. If he was in there, I went in there. Because he, was, he could do more with color than anybody I ever seen. All right. That's a blast from the past. Yeah. So uh, speaking of that, what, uh, what are some reoccurring things in your work? I don't know if I have reoccurring things, but I like to mix realism with fantasies. Well, like I'm doing a series of paintings. I did one series before, and I sold all of them so fast that I decided I'd do another series of them of fish and flowers. You know, you don't see flowers in the bottom of the ocean, and you don't see flowers in the water. You know, or you don't see fish in the land. So. I do that. I, I bring fish to the land and, and fish swimming through flowers, you know. 
And so I've been very fortunate. I love doing stuff like that. I love doing surrealism. Uh, at first, I did realism, you know, portraits and people and stuff. And for the corporations, I did realism, R.J. Reynolds and stuff, you know, old Salem and stuff like that. But, like, now at this age, you know, I like surrealism where you mix the fantasy with the realist. Well, I know two of your larger pieces that focus on realism are in the uh, Hornets Arena mm -hmm. uptown, Spectrum Arena, and the two two-story murals on each escalator. They have their fair share of black and brown people. Mm -hmm. how, how, is that an, an intentional yeah. piece of your art to put the feature yeah. black people as subject? Yeah. Now most people don't know a black artist did that. You know, they think a white artist did that. Can I change this art pattern? No. I mean, like once you reach a certain point or you get to a certain person, people don't even think that black people did that. I didn't put that idea in their head. They have that idea. So what about like the way you feel your work had an impact on civil rights in Charlotte? Well, I, I, I didn't think. I didn't think civil rights. You know, you know, like I didn't think like that. You know, like. Only thing I thought about was doing the best that I could with what I had, you know. And so I, I didn't concentrate on, you know, people try to put you in that, you know. Uh, won't you do something on Martin Luther King? Well, I didn't know him, you know. Or won't you do something on Malcolm X? Well, I didn't know him, you know. And so, so like, what I concentrated on was what I saw, what I felt. You know, what I saw every day, you know. And so I, that's, that's what I concentrate on. Well, what about that? Can you look at those pictures from your earlier days in the 70s and see that? Because I know your art, and mm -hmm. it is very reflective mm -hmm. of life. Mm -hmm. Can you see conditions changing yeah. from paintings you did in the, the 70s to the paintings you well, did last year? I can tell the difference in paintings I did in the 60s, you know, than now, you know. I, because... I, I'm very, I'm a very visual person, you know. I see the man walking down the street with the cane. I see the man being discriminated against. I see the woman who, who come and try to make things different. You know, I remember when they built the Bethlehem Center in Southside on, you know, and uh, it was the strangest thing to me because it wasn't the fact they built the building, the Bethlehem Center, you know, it was the fact that an old white lady lived in, <laughs> she lived in a black community. But, you know, Miss Harriet used to walk down the street, she'd come across the street, talk to my grandma, and I would say, that's an old white lady. <laughs> you know, but that's what the Bethlehem Center did. She lived there on Baltimore Avenue upstairs. You know, nobody bothered and stuff. And so that always fascinated me. You know, like, uh, if if you let it, uh, racism can open your eyes. You know, you, you see things differently, I think, than someone who walk around with dimmers on. What do you mean by that? What do you see differently? Okay, like, I ride public transportation now, even, even though I can afford any car I want, I ride public transportation because I got a lot from public transportation. I remember catching the bus in Southside when I had to go and pay my money, then get off the bus and go and get in the back door and sit down. Hmm. You know, and so you never forget these ideas. You, you never forget these circumstances. You never forget them. 
Did you feel like that was demeaning at the time? Yeah, it was demeaning. I didn't feel like it was demeaning. But that was the system that I was brought up in. That was the system that I lived in. And I thank God that people got out and changed the system. They changed the system, you know. If I pay my money to ride the bus, I should be able to sit anywhere I want to. So was it an intentional choice to not reflect that in your art? Was it too well, painful? Or is well, well, some... That's, your art changes, you change. As time changes, you get older. I used to paint pictures of lynchings and stuff when I was young. You know, I used to paint pictures of, uh, I think, yeah, I think uh, your mom had a picture I painted of a man uh, being lynched. You mm, know, yes, so. Uh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So, so, so you go through different, different times, different stuff, mm. you know. And so I painted pictures of a lot of things. So know? do you believe that stories, emotions, struggles, triumphs that may have been lost in time, like as your work changed? Mm, well, my work have changed some because I have changed. You, you're not the same person at 30 that you will be at 70, you know, or 75, you know. So, so your work changes, you change. So what would make you do a graphite sketch of the lady from the Daughters of the Confederacy? Well, the Daughters of the American Revolution. Oh, okay. Well, I met her. She was in a nursing home. And I was going out to the nursing home, uh, you know, doing classes and stuff. And she was nice later. I mean, she, you know, she wasn't a friend, but, you know, she was. But she thought she was superior to everybody, every black person who worked in that facility. And they was feeding her, they was cooking for her, and they were doing everything for her. But she thought, and that's why I did it with the ribbon on with DRA on it. You know, she didn't have that on. But, she, you know, in her mind, she was just superior. As an artist, did you ever, do you ever remember mixing it up with uh, people like Dr. Reginald Hawkins, civil rights activist? Oh, yeah, I knew. Dr. Fergus, I knew. Dr. James Ferguson? Yeah, I knew. Uh, I knew Julius both, Chambers? I knew, I knew all three of them. Did they you know, know the value of your yeah, art? Yeah, 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 especially Julius, especially Chambers. You know, uh, I know, I know the, they knew the value, of, they knew who I was. They knew the value of my art. But the general society, just like, the hardest thing to infiltrate is the old lady at the mint on the board. You don't supposed to know nothing about no art. I don't supposed to be no artist. I don't supposed to paint no pictures. I don't supposed to be doing uh, pictures in the convention center. I'm supposed to be picking cotton. <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be cropping tobacco. So how would you say black Charlotte as a whole is reflected or has reflected your entire body of work? I had a, I had a studio downtown when nobody had it. Black people didn't have a business downtown. I had a studio on College Street. And uh, I was right near the library. I was across, you know, where uh, Mertz is now. Mm -hmm. Well, that used to be Keesler's Hardware. And when Keesler moved out, they made it. Jacqueline Hare, a uh, German woman, uh, her husband, Rudolph Hare, well, she was American, but her husband had Isochem Corporation. And so she rented me my first studio. She had a, a little ad in the paper. And when I went up those stairs and told her I wanted to rent a studio, 
she kind of looked at me kind of funny, <laughs> but I had the money. And so she rented me a studio. We became good friends. Who else was a black Charlotte artist during that time? Oh, man, I know a lot of black Charlotte artists. Robert Moody, Howard Brewer, Simon Hooper. All these were school teachers, but they were art. They was extremely talented people. So how does it make you feel to look at Charlotte's art scene today as you have so many just unabashed black artists who are young and unapologetic and calling themselves artists and refusing to accept anything well, else? Well, I, I, I admire their tenacity. I admire them for doing that. But you have to back it up. Mediocrity has become normal. Uh, and when I was coming up, that wasn't true. So what, what makes you an artist then? Where, where's that line for you to cross to say, you know what, I am an artist and my peers should feel it's, well, a, it's such? If, 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 if you need green paint and got to go and buy every tube of green paint, all the different shades, everything it is, you're not an artist. <laughs> artist mixed paint. You know, so you can take yellow and blue and make green. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's learning the craft. It's a children's story about the, the oh, emperor with no, no clothes. clothes. Yeah. The emperor with no clothes. Well, we live in a society where there's a lot of emperors walking around naked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't call it. So, we don't call it. Well, what does that mean to a society? Why, why does that matter? What, what makes art important? People. People make it important. People make it important. I, I have people coming to me who can afford my paintings, and I don't want them to have them because they don't appreciate them. I prefer to give somebody something who appreciate it than sell somebody something for a million dollars who just buying it for investment or buying it because it, they think it can be worth something. So there shouldn't be value in art? Is that, yeah, no, I'm saying it should be value in art. But... Like, the verdict should come through appreciation. Do you care if your work is worth a lot of money? Me personally? Yeah, absolutely. I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah I kind of <laughs> care. I kind of care because I can go up on the price. <laughs> you know, yeah, I kind of care. <laughs> you know, because, like, if, if I sell you a picture for $10, you come and tell me, man, I got $20,000. I'm going up. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never get another one from me for ten, you know. No, but but you know, you want people I like I like I like selling paintings to people and they say, Ooh, I remember you painted so and so and so and it, and I showed it to my husband and he, you know, it just I still got it. You know, I prefer people like that, you know. So what does your legacy mean in Charlotte as an artist? What do you want Charlotte to know no, about Tommy Robinson? I don't care what they know. I mean, I don't paint. I don't. I don't paint for them. You know, I, I think like you know, I'm 75, and I get up and go in my studio six days a week. And I, I just started going six. I used to go seven. And when you was a boy, I used to go seven. And I go. I don't go in there for the people shop. I go in there for me. You know, like uh, I'm 75. I still can walk. I still can see. I, I still got. You know, that's why I go in there. You know, I've, I've been very blessed, you know, but I don't go in there for the money. I don't go in there for the fame. I go in there because I can go in there. I can produce it, you know. Uh, I, I'm glad I have the little fame I have. I'm glad I'm known. 
beyond Charlotte Borders. I'm glad I'm glad I'm in great collections. I'm glad I'm in museums, but I don't go in there for that. You so know? what does the word legacy mean when you hear it? That's somebody else's word. <laughs> you know, I've never, never seen a person had a legacy say, Oh, that's my legacy. <laughs> That's somebody else's word. <laughs> you know, they, they, they say, oh, Mr. Rouse, you're a legacy. <laughs> you, you, you don't hear me saying that. You know, so I think that's just somebody else's word. What would you like to have your art do or be, or how would you like it treated? I, in I would like for it to be appreciated. I would like for it to be seen. I would like for it to make people feel good or, or feel bad or, or some kind of emotion. That's what I would like. You know, I don't, I don't want you to look at it and, oh, it's pretty, and it's not. You know, uh, I want you to look at it and feel something. Just just feel something, any kind of feel. So if you could give one piece of advice to a young black male aspiring to be an artist who's doubting himself, what would you say to him? Paint. L learn as much as you can about it. You know, learn, learn as much as you can about the craft. You know, you know, that's the biggest thing that I have about young people. They don't want to put the time in to learn, you know. And, and like I used to, I remember when I was a young man, I, I joined the guild because I wanted to learn. I, I was in the library, and I would go in the art section because I wanted to learn. You know, we have so many people come in front of us who know. And, you know, we waste this. We, we waste the knowledge that people have. And once you go in that ground, that's it. You know, that's the end of it. What should the world know about Tommy Robinson? Mm. Well, like, I don't mean anything about this, but I don't care what they know. <laughs> I don't care what they know, what they think. It <laughs> don't bother me at all. Well, give us something they could know. Like, you know, well, you can't just answer it. You can't leave a question like that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? But, but I, I would like, I would like for my stuff to be appreciated. But you know, I don't think about that. I really don't. I, I, I don't. I mean, I understand your question, and I, I wish I could answer it more. But I don't think like that. I don't care what they think. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World Should Know, a special podcast series developed by Charlotte's Creative in partnership with Tom Hanchett and Winston Robinson and sponsored by the North Carolina Humanities Council. For a written companion piece to this podcast and to hear an original spoken word performance in Mr. Robinson's honor written and performed by Hannah Hassan, visit BiscuitCLT.com. <laughs>